We are in John 3, and when I first started preparing for this sermon, I um, was going to do John 3, 1 through like 18, but then when I started studying, I concluded that today I'm only going to get through John 3, 1 through 8. So... (laughs) There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff happening here in this scripture. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read this passage real quick. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a, rule of, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you, Father, that we can all come together and congregate with one another, lifting each other up. In psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, by the teaching of the word, by, by the preaching of the word, we thank you, Father, for it. We, we, we trust you, God, and we put our trust in you right now, and I, as the person who's bringing this morning's message, trust you, God, and I trust you, Holy Spirit, to lead me and guide me. I thank you, Father, that you are a good God, worthy of all the praise, honor, and glory, and I thank you, Father, for each heart that is here right now. For each person that is here right now, I pray that they have ears to hear, that they, they, they believe themselves good, good ground, that when the word is sown into them, it yields fruit in their lives. I pray for each one here that that happens in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, for it. Amen. So... I, I'm a person that loves stories, I love context, I love imagining things. So you have uh, um, Jesus and Nicodemus have a story here. There's only two characters, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, and Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, is also said to be a ruler of the Jews. Later in the text in John 3, Jesus calls him a teacher of Israel. So he was a well-established person in the, in the Jewish faith in, in Israel, in, in, in the Pharisees. So he's probably very learned. He's a very well-learned, astute Pharisee. He has the Old Testament probably memorized and knows it because Hebrew and, and their the Jewish religion is a very oral religion, so they commit everything to memory. They believe that you should not write anything down unless you first commit it to memory, which is pretty interesting. 
it's neither here nor there, but it kind of, it's cool. Um, so, so he knows all the laws that the Pharisees put in place, so he's an extremely learned person. He has a lot of knowledge welled up in his head. So from the point of view of every average Jewish person, Nicodemus is probably, like I said, well-respected in a Pharisee among Pharisees is what they would say. I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees. It's part of what they they're basically their introduction when they introduced themselves to one another they would say stuff like that i was i was born of this tribe i was circumcised on the eighth day i am a a jewish person this this is who i am as a person that's basically their business card so he was a pharisee of the pharisees so one time so we we enter this story understanding that this pharisee approaches his approaches Jesus at night and even recognizes him as a rabbi. So this person of, of respect comes to Jesus in respect and, and even recognize him as a rabbi. He can, we can see contextually that Nicodemus sees something in Jesus that's different. We can see that he, he's interested in Jesus and wants to know more. We see that he approaches Jesus by night which could mean one or two things. It could mean that he wants his meeting to be a little bit inconspicuous. He doesn't necessarily want the other Pharisees to see or the other people to see that he is going to Jesus to ask him some questions about life. It could also mean because of what the context says in the future of this, this book, he says, uh, or this chapter, um, And we know that John kind of hides some stuff in meaning. This could mean that um, it's kind of foreshadowing a reference to the fact that he's a little bit unenlightened uh, to the truth that Jesus speaks. So he's in the night. He's dark. He, he He doesn't have that understanding of the light of the new birth or of Jesus Christ as the Messiah fully. We understand that because he questions Jesus. In verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is speaking a truth that everyone who claims salvation needs to acknowledge. We live in a kingdom that cannot be comprehended by anyone who hasn't partaken of the same salvation. We understand this from this, this, this interaction with Nicodemus and Jesus. Jesus is speaking the gospel, he's speaking the kingdom. So people outside without that understanding, without being born again, without having that salvation imparted on the inside of them, they don't know what we know. So it's kind of funny when we kind of try to point to the world and and, and tell them that they should act differently when they're doing exactly what they're nature is telling them to do. Their nature has not been changed. They have not been born again. So we can't tell them to do this or that. It's not our right. It is God's opportunity to go and change lives. So this phrase also, being born again, reminds us of the first chapter of John, John 1, 12, and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who gave the right, he, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of the blood, the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but by the will of God. It was an act of God 
that brings someone to salvation. It is an act of God that, that makes someone a born-again believer. It is solely him. There is an act of faith where we hear this, where we hear Jesus, we hear the gospel message, and we, through grace and faith, are quickened to be able to accept this sacrifice for our lives. But it is a complete work of God from the beginning of time. Because we understand that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So the purpose for everything, period, is Jesus. He brings meaning to everything. What Jesus says leaves Nicodemus not understanding what he was saying. He even asks how someone old or someone grown could be born again. He's thinking in terms of flesh and blood. This is, this is something that we, that we have to understand, that when you're born again, it is nothing that you can do in the flesh. There's nothing that we can do by our flesh to become a child of God or, or become born again. It is solely Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 2, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that, um, we can turn there real quick because I do not want to misquote it, and I did not write it in here. So, Ephesians 2. Eight says, um, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our whole lives, I stress this enough, anything good that comes from us is only by God. If you think that you have, if you think you have claim to anything good in your life, you are misunderstanding the whole point of God in the gospel. You have no claim to anything. There's, there's, you have no claim to something good being in, in your life as a result of your flesh. It is only by God. If there's something good in your life, give God the glory. While this is a story about one man approaching Jesus, asking him about the purpose, and it seems, basically, the purpose of life, it seems that Jesus is speaking back to just one man. And many theologians say, that when Jesus speaks, he is speaking to Nicodemus as a representation for all the people of Israel. And since now, through the revelation of God pouring out his spirit for all men, he is speaking to one man who is representing all men. So this is a word to everybody. You must be born again, refathered from above, basically. All of us approach Jesus, and he says we must be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. We can all agree on one thing, that at some point in time, we were born. It wasn't an act of ourselves, but it was an act of God's creation working through human beings, a man and a woman. We did not choose to be born now we have Jesus telling us we must now be born again. Like our first birth, we must recognize that the second birth is not of our own doing.
born of water. John the Baptist came baptizing in water unto repentance, a recognition that when we try in our own flesh to clean ourselves up, it is like washing ourselves with filthy rags. No matter what, those rags will leave you filthy and lacking. Could you imagine that? Taking, like having a long day at work where you're just dirty and grimy and all you have to wash yourself is a dirty, dirty rag, not even any soap or anything. That's what it's like when you try to clean yourself up. You're just smearing dirtiness all over yourself. <laughs> now we have Jesus telling us, wait, um, Wait, just to, to clean ourselves up. No matter what, those rags will leave you filthy and lacking. You come to God recognizing this, this being baptized unto repentance, declaring that you were filthy, and no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't get yourself clean. This is being born of the water. Being born of the Spirit, we know that Jesus came to baptize with his Spirit. This is Jesus breathing his Spirit into you, and his Holy Spirit makes his home inside of you, his Spirit being the promise, sealing your salvation inside of you. Ephesians 1.11. Um, talk- this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesians. So he's saying, we're coming to preach to you. So he says, in him we, the people coming to preach to the Ephesians church, obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." So we come and we preach, saying we have partaken of this new life. Now if you believe, you can have this new life too. You can be sealed with this promise. This is a work of God. This is, this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus and ultimately what he is trying to communicate to us. Salvation is a work of the Trinity. We will learn that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so whoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And when you believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he breathes into you a brand new life. His Holy Spirit on the inside of you, sealing you. I know that I was born because I stand here before you, and what I, that would be impossible if one day I wasn't born. I also was born again. I know that on one Halloween, the church we went to in Virginia, they had an alternative to Halloween. And that night I was really young. I answered an altar call to accept Jesus Christ into my heart. Was I saved in that moment? I don't know, but, 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 but it started something somewhere, somewhere in my life. I know, without a shadow of doubt, God saved me. But what I am sure of is that, 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 that at some point I was born of the water in spirit, and it was nothing that I did. At some point, I know that I truly saw and understood the gospel. It became enlightened to me, and I understood what it was. 
There was, a, there was a story in a sermon that I heard by a man named Timothy Keller who was actually approving people to become pastors of churches. And um, this one guy that was going through the pre-approval time, they, they, well, he was interviewing a whole bunch of people. And they said, well, I was saved at this point, but I never really understood that the gospel was never enlightened to me until this part of my life. So there was an initial moment where they accepted the sacrifice, but the, the gospel wasn't enlightened to them until a certain point. There was one story where a man came to him and said, you know what? I just, I have this new understanding of the gospel. I, I know that, that Jesus Christ came for me, that there was nothing that I could have done, that it had to be him completely that saved me. And I'm just wondering, why didn't people write about that before? Like, like he, he gave, for instance, why didn't Martin Luther say anything about the grace of God and salvation, stuff like that? And Timothy Keller's like, you need to go back and read what Martin Luther wrote. Because Martin Luther, all through, his, all through his writing, said, it's through grace, it's through a work of, of the cross, it's through Jesus Christ that saves us. It's because he didn't have that understanding, that, that enlightenment of the gospel. So we all know, I can know right now, that his spirit is on the inside of me just because his gospel has been enlightened to me. I know I couldn't do anything to make myself right, and I needed Jesus, and he breathed his spirit in me, and that spirit sealed me with the promise of salvation. I know that that spirit is in me because it bears witness with my spirit that I am his child, and he is my father. That is in um, Romans 8. Let's look at that for a second. Uh, Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Towards the end of Romans 8, it talks about how you cannot be separated by the love of God. Death, nor life, nor angel, nor demon, or any created thing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And the funny thing is, I am a created thing, so I couldn't separate myself from the love of God. There is absolutely nothing. So, so let's think about these births. Neither of these births... In my life were my doing. I did nothing to be born of the flesh and blood for my mother and father. I did nothing to be born again by the water and spirit. It was all by God's grace. So there is absolutely nothing that I can do to make myself not my mother and father's son. Their blood runs through my veins. Their DNA is part of my DNA. It is absolutely impossible for me to lose my identity as my mother's son and my father's son. So in conclusion, there is absolutely nothing I can do not to not be my heavenly father's son. The blood of his son continually washes me clean and makes me a new creature. His Holy Spirit has made his home inside of me and became a part of me. 
If you think you can lose this salvation, you might not be listening to the Holy Spirit is saying to you, bearing witness to your spirit that you are a child of God. You may not have even experienced salvation yet. Maybe you thought you had to do something to earn this salvation. Maybe you thought this salvation was conditional. Maybe you thought you, you had to clean yourself up all the while you were just using dirty rags to smear filthiness, making you all the more unclean. If you feel the Spirit of God inside of you right now, bearing witness that you are a child, take heart. Know nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God. Know that you are God's child, and He will never leave you or forsake you. Stop worrying about whether you're going to lose your salvation or not, and know that it is secure. Because the second you understand that it is secure, maybe is the second you can start fulfilling what God has for your life, instead of just worrying about yourself. You can understand that God has given us a great commission. Not to worry about ourselves and our salvation, but to go forth and preach the good news to everybody. I got this book. It's pretty good. It's called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. How the Jewish words of Jesus can change your life. Um, it's by Lois Zertberg, something like that. I just want to read you about God's loving or long-acting love. It's called, I hope I pronounce this right, hesed. <laughs> the, the word hesed is the descriptor par excellence of God in the Old Testament. The word speaks of completely undeserved kindness and generosity done by a person who is in a position of power. This was the Israelites' expression or experience of God. He revealed himself to them when they were not looking for him, and he kept a covenant with them long after the persistent breaking of, of it had destroyed any reason for his continued keeping of it. Unlike humans, the deity was not fickle, undependable, self-serving, and grasping. Instead, he was a faithful, true, upright and generous always. Hesed is, bo is a bone-weary father who drives through the night to bail his drug-addicted son out of jail. Hesed is a mom who spends day after day, thankless day, spoon-feeding and wiping up after a disabled child. Hesed is an un unsung pastor's wife who, whose long-suffering, tearful prayers keep her exhausted hu husband from falling apart at the seams. Hesed is the love that can be counted on decade after decade. It's not about the thrill of romance, but security of faithfulness. More and more Christians even talk about our relationship with um, with God as a romance, we reminisce about the day we accepted Christ, fondly remembering the night we first met. Does that mean we're only dating and not married? On my crabby, grumpy days, God's hesed is what I hang on to. For better or for worse, he stuck with me no matter what. When you are God's child, when you enter into this covenant with Jesus Christ, it is a marriage bonded together forever. Let no man separate what God has put together. When you, when you understand this, when you understand how great his love is for you, when you understand that, that, that 
you just, nothing will ever se- separate you from him, that he will always be chasing after you, no matter what. You can stop running and just give up because no matter what, he's going to chase you down and find you and track you down in, in, until you just give up. So the good thing to do would probably be just give up. Because if you try to run, if you try to do something, he's going to chase you. And I, it's, kind of, it's kind of special to think of trying to run from an omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient all-knowing God. Because no matter what, he will always chase you down. He will always be looking for you. He will always find you. This sets you free to be the temple of the Holy Spirit and go into all creation and proclaim the glory of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have faith that your salvation is secure. Stop focusing on yourself and you can now accept the grace and mercy in this time of need to actually live a life of holiness. Not power empowered by your flesh trying to do something, but empowered by God's grace. By empowered by God himself and his spirit on the inside of you. That's the only way you're going to be set free. That's the only way you're going to be able to let go of addictions. That's the only way you're going to be able to be faithful. It's the only way you're going to be able to be a faithful spouse, a faithful father, a faithful mother, a faithful anything. It's the only way you're going to stop from sin. It's the only way because your flesh can't do it. It will fail every single time. If you try to live a holy life by any other way but the grace of God, I guarantee 100% you have a 100% fail rate. At the end of the day, at some point in time, you will fail and you will slip up. I guarantee it. So stop trying to do it by the flesh and accept God's grace to live a holy life. That's the only hope that you have. Because when you're living by the flesh, you're not even, gonna, you're not even living a holy life. You're, you're putting your salvation conditional to what you do. Saying, I don't have faith in my salvation. When you try to pick this thing up and do it by the flesh, you're saying, God's work isn't good enough, so I have to add to it. God's grace isn't good enough, so my flesh has to make up for it. That's what you're doing when you say, I have to do something by this flesh. You have to rest in God's grace and accept the mercy and grace in the time of need. And you will be able to walk boldly into the throne room, and he will give you everything you need ever to live this life and the second you stop depending on him is the second you start depending on yourself or some other avenue of satisfaction and is the second you fall and you don't experience that anymore so what so so what you need to do is not try to do it better what you need to do is just understand that you need to just stop for a moment Be still. Know that God is God. Have faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. I have faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Like when I I enter into eternity, I have faith. I've put all of my faith on the fact that I am his child. I have no faith in anything else but that. And if you have faith in your flesh that at the end of the day, when you enter into eternity, if, 
if, if you think you have anything to do to gain heaven, you have fallen from that. You have fallen from the understanding of what salvation is. I have full faith. You have to put all of your faith on him. Or then it's not faith. Then you're just living contradiction, a living contradiction of the grace of God. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you are born of the Spirit, if you have been born again, if that Spirit's on the inside of you and bears witness with your Spirit that you're a child of God, be at ease. Again, we can't see with our physical eyes the Spirit of God inside someone, just like we can't see the wind. Brooke Foss Westcott, dude from the 1800s, said, The believer shows by deed and word that an invisible influence has moved and inspired him. He is himself a continual sign of the action of the Spirit, which is freely determined and incomprehensible by man to source and end. Though seen in it present or though seen in its present results. Meaning, it's a work of the spirit. Everything is a work of the spirit. You don't know where it began and you don't know where it ends. It's 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 infinite, it's eternal. That those who believe in him will have eternal life, that it's infinite. That 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 we can believe that. Yeah, one time I prayed a prayer when I was a little kid, but at one time I was saved. And now that salvation has encapsulated my whole life. And I don't know the beginning from the end because he's the alpha, the omega, the one who was and is and is to come, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So my whole entire life has been swallowed up by Christ. He has wiped away the past and at the beginning of my life, Christ, in the middle of my life, Christ, at the end of my life, Christ, he is the alpha, he is the omega, he's the beginning, he is the end of my life. There was never, he, he wiped it away, he wiped away your past so much so that there was completely erased and eradicated that old part of you. So there now was destroyed forever, destroyed, it was destroyed forever, so there now is a new creature, brand new, in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, standing there. And the glory that there is on the inside of you outshines all the other, other parts of your life, so much so that it destroys all the other parts of your life, so much so that there never was a sinner. There never was a person that never believed in Jesus Christ, but it's just a testimony of God's grace from the beginning of time till the end of time. This is what happens when salvation comes on the inside of a person. It changes you so much so that there's nothing left but a new creature there. This is the testimony that we must believe. If we believe this testimony, if we rest in the grace of God, if we trust in that, we will, we will do what God has called us to do. He will give us the grace to step out and do certain things. He will give us the grace to step out and tell people about Jesus. He will give us the grace if we, if we trust in him and not trust in our flesh because our flesh fails. 
our flesh will fail. This is the Spirit of God. This is a work of grace and mercy. This is the new birth, a new creation. Thank you, Father, for everything. There is really nothing we can add. At the end of the day, we just have to stand in awe and wonder of this work that you've done. Because we could try to intellectualize it, we could try to debate it, but at the end of the day, it's just... It's just you. You are the great I am. May we not intellectualize this. May we not try to write this down. But may we just throw our lives into it and believe it. May we have faith in you, God. May we actually have faith and trust in your salvation and trust in your work. We are your workmanship. We are your artistry. You love us and you take care of us. We are your masterpieces. If anybody doesn't have that spirit that bears witness with their spirit on the inside of them, bearing witness that they are a child of God, God's grace and God is always searching. His spirit is always searching for those, those people who see the gospel presented and, and understand it. And, and, and the, it's, the spirit is always just searching for that, that good ground that he can sow into. So if you want to be a child of God, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray for you right now. And then, and then if, if you're one of those people that I pray for, you just come up to pastor or you come up to me. You come up to, to Gail or Larry. You come up to one of the elders. and we, we, will, we will tell you more about God's goodness, more of God's grace, and more of God's salvation. So I pray for every heart out there right now that is ready to accept this salvation. I pray that they um, aren't scared away, they aren't, they aren't bashful, but that spirit puts inside of them a boldness and an utterance to proclaim that Jesus is Christ. And Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they can't do anything to add, to make their life good, and they can't do anything to, to make heaven but they have to accept the free gift that is Jesus Christ. And I pray that you accept that right now in Jesus' name. And the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you and enlightens you, and, and you're able to see the gospel, and you're able to see the grace of God, and you're able to see the mercy in Jesus' name. See it right now. Light be in the name of Jesus in the beginning God said, let there be light, and light was. 
in the beginning, and that light was the light of men in Jesus Christ, and that light brings revelation, understanding of what the gospel is. So I say to those hearts, light be in Jesus' name. For everybody else who has been trying to do it by the flesh, I pray that your, your blessed assurance is, is, is forever, forever ingrained in them. That they can know, that they can see, that light floods their hearts with revelation so they might know the hope to which they have been called. The hope to which they have been called is not to worry about themselves, but to go and worry about others. To see the glorious inheritance in the saints and be servants to one another and lift each other up in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In Jesus' name, amen.